Restorative justice is so much bigger than what happens just at summer camp. I believe restorative justice could change the world. I'm Laura Kriegel. And I'm Allison Klee. And this is the Inspiring Radical Empathy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to inspiring the next generation of radically empathetic decision makers. We had the notion to put camp in motion, make it brief, make it full of all our love and devotion. We run a summer camp called Stomping Ground. We believe camp is the best place to build and scale trust. In a world that feels more and more divided, the ability to take others' perspectives and empathize is paramount. In the first season of this podcast, we're going to dive into restorative justice. About the history of restorative justice, how it is connected to the racial justice movement, and talk with experts working in camps, in schools, and zoom out and look at the bigger picture of restorative justice in our society. Episode one, Radical Empathy Podcast. Let's go. That is that was up, Clee. This is so exciting. Well, we should probably introduce ourselves. Let's do it. All right. You go first. Hi everyone. Uh, my name is Allison Clee. Go by Clee at Camp. Um, I first worked at Camp Stomping Ground summer twenty sixteen. I was a counselor there and then I spent um, all the summers after that at Camp Stomping Ground. And I'm currently the camp director. Uh, fun fact: um, Allison Allie Cleberry was <laughs> was my was my camper when I was a staff member at an, uh, another camp we worked at called Camp um, Stell Morris. And yes. I think that you were a 15 year old camper at the time. Mm, 12. Okay, never mind. <laughs> we'll cut that part. Out. Dreams do come true, people. <laughs> Laura, who the heck are you? <laughs> um, my name is Laura Kriegel. I am one of the um, founders and co-executive directors at Camp Stomping Ground. Since this is a, a, a podcast about uh, restorative justice, I think it would be kind of interesting to check in with each other mm-hmm. now, Clee, as like kind of an example for what we mean by like a restorative conversation. Um, cool. Love that. So this is kind of like some some. A similar thing that we would do with staff or with campers. You led a lot of these online this summer when we ran virtual camp. But um, how how is your energy level on a scale of one to ten? And then follow up to that question, um, and I'll answer as well. Um, where like, what's giving you energy today? Mm. This is good. This is good. Um, I'm gonna say my energy level is at a six okay my scale is one to ten ten being like super energetic um and what is giving me energy today um it's got to be this cup of coffee i have (laughs) that's good um i'm at a i'm at a four i'm feeling kind of tired um i think that uh we're like day two into not knowing who the next president of the united Mm -hmm. states is and that feels a little draining um, but I, what's giving me energy right now is the like slight break in cold weather. Um, it was so nice to be able to be outside yesterday and not wear a coat. That was a check-in, a conversation tool. 
Restorative justice is all about conversation tools and building community. Today, we hope to give you a broad overview of restorative justice and its principles. Over the course of the season, we'll dig into what restorative justice looks like in schools, camps, and in other institutions and organizations. For today, let's start by building a common understanding. Laura, could you first start in saying how you found your way to restorative justice? Yeah. And what first sparked your interest? That's such a good question, Clee. Um, so in 2015, um, Jack and I like started Stomping Ground. We mm-hmm. ran one week of uh, this totally experimental summer camp. Um, we convinced 23 of our best friends to come volunteer as staff members um, and were shocked when 64 kids showed up on opening day and we were um, we were excited to uh, think about like what what creating a community was really like and what rules were really necessary and um, we were hell-bent on proving to the rest of the world that like kids were capable of more than adults typically think and that like getting chills setting some of those setting expectations and um giving kids the dignity and respect and the trust and the freedom was going to kind of create this magical space for them um so yeah big bright-eyed bushy-tailed like ready to go (laughs) here we here we are on sunday with like um this little crew we had and uh uh, it was a total disaster. Like it was a, just a nightmare in so many ways. Like we, we had fun. I think <laughs> I didn't. I don't. I've heard there were lots of fun. I wasn't there. But <laughs> yeah, we. I think the kids had a good time. I think staff was um, worked so hard to try to meet the goals of the program and give kids what they were hoping for during that week. Um, but it also like some things were really hard like we quickly realized that in our like big lofty ideals about like trusting kids and building this space together and letting kids make decisions about how they wanted to spend their time and who they wanted to spend it with that we um didn't have systems in place for like what happens when things go wrong um and so as a result there were some like pretty serious arguments um between campers um at camp and between campers and staff and i um yeah, I think it 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 made me realize that um, we couldn't do the work that we wanted to do um, with camp in in proving to the rest of the world that kids were capable of more than adults thought um, without having some systems in place to help build um, build the community up first. Camp Stomping Ground is a nonprofit overnight summer camp. In 2015, we ran one week for 64 campers. Now we run an entire summer with hundreds of campers. I wasn't there in 2015, but clearly it was awesome. After that first summer, 
um, I was exhausted and Jack and I were seriously thinking like this was just that this didn't work, you know, and wanted to give up a little bit. Um, but then, um, you know, thought maybe what like what what is out there in the rest of the world um, for like conflict re- resolution? What are what are some spaces? What are spaces doing that? um that <laughs> really think about um dewey the dog agrees <laughs> what are what are um are there I, I guess the question was are there other places that are like intentionally thinking about conflict systems that aren't um that are like more focused on um kids voices or community voices rather than like a top-down authority system which is what I grew up thinking, how like how you solve conflict, but it was antithetical to what we wanted to do with camp, which was like trust kids. Laura, it's really interesting to hear about that first summer because my understanding of Stomping Ground since joining the team the following year is that conflict is baked into the whole part of the program. So it's interesting to hear about how that first summer it wasn't so much. And I think um, what I've learned from working at Stomping Ground is that a community doesn't exist without conflict and my first introduction to restorative justice was my first summer in 2016 um, when you talked about how conflict can be a tool for innovation and connection rather than a tool to further divide people. Um, I, or my first summer at Stomping Ground, I was initially intimidated by the conflict circle process when I first learned about it at staff training. I think I was really in my head about how uh, what all the proper words to use were and the cer- certain um, uh, questions to ask during a circle. And it wasn't until I fully trusted the process after really just doing it. I had a circle with two campers my first week who were annoyed at each other because they were both came to camp as really good friends and they were both making different friends and it was challenging their friendship. And they told me they wanted to have a circle and I sat down with them and I asked the very first question kind of following all of the steps that you had introduced to us at staff training and then I quickly learned that I wasn't going to follow all those steps it was really a conversation for them and less about what I thought was right and more about what they needed and um, just having a place to talk to each other and um, that was really important for me to learn in that when I'm asked to facilitate a circle by campers it's not about me dictating a conversation. It's about helping guide it when it's asked from me as a staff member. It was powerful to hear you reflect on um, kind of your own introduction to restorative justice because I think about um, your impact on camp and your impact on me and thinking about um, how this conflict resolution system has been shaped a lot by your thoughts and um, so it's fun to hear. It's fun to remember um, mm-hmm. way back when in that, for that, that second summer. It's important to note that Stomping Ground um, in no way originated uh, restorative justice or um, any of these values or thoughts. The, the idea of restorative justice is as ancient as it is innovative, um, and it comes from indigenous cultures around the world who value community and um, connection over um, like what's right and wrong. And while restorative practices have existed in indigenous cultures from around the globe, 
like Laura said, it wasn't really introduced to the United States until the 1970s. And in the first 40 years, restorative justice um, was pretty much dominated by white people in the U.S. and failed to address a lot of issues of race and credit the people who developed these important practices. Some of the folks that have inspired me and helped me figure out my own understanding of restorative justice uh, and how to build it into camp, but also into my own life, are um, Howard Zier. There are lots of different practices we call restorative justice, but essentially it's a framework. It's a particular way of looking at wrongdoing. It's a relational approach to problems, conflicts, and harms that puts, di that puts a premium on dialogue. So it's a relational understanding of wrongdoing. It puts a real premium on dialogue between people. Its best known practices are things like circles, victim offender conferencing, family group conferencing. But there's actually a whole continuum of practices, some of which are fully restorative and some are less restorative, but necessarily, but, but, not, uh, but still guided in some way by restorative justice. And Fania Davis. What I, I mean by justice, is very close to what Dr. King means by justice. In 1955, right around the time that Rosa Parks was arrested, there was a mass meeting of the Montgomery Improvement Association in a church in Montgomery. And he offered this definition of justice. Justice is love correcting that which stands against love. Or justice is love correcting that which revolts against love. Ours is a justice system that harms people who harm people to show that harming people is wrong. And so our system just replicates that harm. And from him I learned there was this thing called restorative justice that instead of perpetuating that endless cycle of harm, it seeks to interrupt it. It seeks to heal the harm, repair the damage that's done to relationships. It's a justice that seeks to create more social peace than social conflict. I learned as a civil rights trial lawyer that my clients, even when we won, even when we won close to a million dollars in damages for dis discrimination, they were more broken after going through the trial process. Their relationship with their employer was even worse. So I learned personally that Ours is a system that creates more social conflict, that hurts relationships more than it helps them. Restorative justice seeks to flip that. Yeah, um, just finished the book, The Little Book of Race and Restorative Justice by Dr. Fania Davis, and it um, was really helpful to learn a ton more about how the racial justice movement, specifically the civil rights movement in the United States, is connected to the restorative justice movement, which we're looking forward to uh, digging deeper on in our next episode, how those two social justice movements are connected. In the show notes on this episode, we can link to some of the videos that have uh, shaped our understanding. Laura, I know when I talk with people, there are a lot of misconceptions around what restorative justice is. Um, I think one of the most common ones that I hear is restorative justice is about victims forgiving perpetrators right and that like somehow it doesn't work because mm -hmm. 
um, our idea of what justice is, is based in a punishment model. Or um, if you do something wrong, then there's like shame and blame associated with that and like an isolation as as well. And that that somehow is the solution to the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas restorative justice tries to flip that and say, um, you know, instead of finding blame and shame Mm -hmm. and trying to uh, like point out wrongdoing just for the sake of doing that, using the I told you so idea, Mm -hmm. um, it says um, what harm has been done first and how can we address that harm um, both for the the perpetrator and the victim. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think while forgiveness or reconciliation often do occur in times of conflict and restorative justice responses, they're not required. Right. Exactly. And we see that at camp all the time. Mm -hmm. There's like uh, often, you know, when campers and uh, are in a conflict or an argument with each other, the solution isn't necessarily like that everything goes back to normal. But we have the chance to see each other's humanity more through a restorative justice conversation Mm -hmm. um, or a circle to try to build some trust and community um, rather than tearing down or like pointing fingers or finding Mm -hmm. out like who's wrong Mm -hmm. um because that tends to just perpetuate a cycle of of harm and violence right i think that in a lot of ways um i'm sorry's in our society are often uh pretty like uh empty i'm sorry's and people often say them because they think they have to right versus actually realizing some kind of harm that they really did and i think restorative justice helps people really figure out if they're sorry or not yeah and it's more genuine in a lot of ways i think you hit the nail on the head yeah figuring out how um to to really empathize and understand with what harm has been done maybe harm that you caused Mm -hmm. um in order to do that you really have to um put yourself in another person's shoes and Mm -hmm. figure out what it felt like to be that other person Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what a restorative justice conversation does Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i think going along with that Um, something that even stomping ground staff at like staff orientation are worried about is does restorative justice allow bullies or um, people who cause harm to get away with things or just allow them to be bullies? Yeah, that's a huge question. I think a lot of people have about restorative justice is, you know, does it does it let somebody who's done serious harm to an individual or a community just like get away with something without Mm -hmm. having to deal with the consequences. But I think um, restorative justice is actually more impactful Mm -hmm. um, at at really dealing with consequences rather than just like putting a Band-Aid on it or like hiding the the root cause of the conflict. Um, That's what we do with the with the prison system. We Mm -hmm. say, um, you know, like you you hurt something or someone or you did something wrong. And our society is so conflict avoidant Mm -hmm. that the solution is to just lock somebody up and Mm -hmm. um pretend that that solves the problem but it doesn't really address um like what's going on there and and um like what's at stake is the the connection and the relationships that we have with others so um you know there's a there's a natural consequence piece when when something happens in our small microcosm of the world at summer camp and somebody like um does something to harm somebody else having to sit down with that other person and hear what that was like for Mm -hmm. them um is way more of a of a um impactful consequence than um just like having to 
leave the football game or whatever right. and that might also be the the solution For too sure. um you know a lot of times um giving control to the people who conflict has actually affected um people own up and are willing to take a, a back seat or pull themselves out of whatever because they see the impact that their decisions have had um and that's way more meaningful of a consequence mm -hmm. than a like arbitrary one that might have been imposed by like the adults in the room or like mm -hmm. you know the the court system or whatever in whatever you know at whatever level we're talking about yeah i think in a lot of ways a restorative community actually holds people more accountable in some ways because i think there are um more stakeholders in that it's not just a system where adults or people in power have the ability to tell someone that they messed up or caused harm and then implement some kind of arbitrary consequence. I think what happens at stomping ground in our restorative community is that campers have equal power in saying to another camper or another staff member, hey, you caused harm, you hurt my feelings, or you messed up. And so in that way, it there's a lot more people just ready to kind of hold each other accountable. I'm thinking of one example that actually happened on zoom on an online camp where um, most of our conflict showed up in the chat which kind of makes sense you can't really uh, read people's tone and body language as well on zoom and as we all know it's sometimes easier for people to be more harsh online it feels a little bit safer behind a computer screen and we had a camper saying some pretty negative and rude things in the chat and before me as the staff member on the call even had the uh the opportunity to say anything another camper just said hey you're being rude please stop and then it stopped and it was like right sh sh in some ways it's possible that this camper listened better to the other camper right. than they might have to me and so i think that um bringing people in on this process and and having people hold equal power in a restorative community is um, super it, important as well. And it allows them to know that their voice matters. Yeah. That they have um, they have a say in how um, they show up, but also how other people show up. And that it stops people from waiting for some other outside force to mm -hmm. come in and, like, um, impose or oppress, mm -hmm. um, like, in order to, like, find justice within that. I think um, – and I think that that power um, is – important for people to realize that at a, at a young age that they mm -hmm. do have that power um the the common misconception that like restorative justice doesn't impose consequences mm. um the consequences that result from a restorative justice conversation are natural consequences mm. and are often more um like related to whatever actually happened and therefore more impactful that doesn't mean that um anybody gets off easy. So a common miscon another common misconception is that um, restorative justice is all about conflict circles and like solving mm -hmm. um, solving conflict. And I think that that's a big major mistake that I made in first trying to introduce some of these practices to Stomping Ground. I was very focused on, like, what is the system we're going to have that 
for like when kids get mad at each other or when like staff disagree or whatever it is. Um, but something that we've learned over time um, and is in all of the literature about uh, restorative justice and restorative practices is that 80% of the work of restorative practices is community building and only 20% is actually um, like using that conversation tool to solve conflict collaboratively. So 80% of um, the work that we do at camp to make camp restorative is through check-in circles in the morning with, with campers. We build that into the schedule. It's through embers late at night um, where campers debrief the day mm -hmm. together. Um, all these specific times where we focus on um, really like communicating in a genuine intentional way mm -hmm. that builds community. Um, and summer camps I think are typically pretty restorative spaces in that way because it is all about building community. Mm -hmm. It's all about um, the relationships that you form with others at camp. Clee, uh, I'm curious to know, like, what's your what's your own personal relationship with conflict? Mm -hmm. What kind of roles did you play in conflict when you were a kid? I don't think I've ever connected the dots on this uh, since we've just been talking, but I'm thinking about an instance in first grade and if my first grade classmates are out there listening, I'm about to work through this. Um, and uh, there was an instance where uh, during lunch in first grade, another girl in my class dared me to dare another girl to lick the floor of the cafeteria. And I, no way. Laura just went, I know I'm to this day. I'm haunted by this and I'm going to connect it in a minute. And I, got I was like such a terrified shy first grader and I got the worst stomach ache but I did it I dared I dared this girl to like the floor of the cafeteria she does it I'm like and that's when my body knew like you're about to get in trouble lunch monitor comes over and she's like what's happening I'm like oh my god I start crying and then I had to stay after recess with one more classmate who did it with me and um she was like what happened and I remember just sitting there being silent my body had never felt like so scared and I got home from school that day knowing that somebody was going to call my mom which was just like the scariest thing in the world and I just stayed in my bedroom the whole day after school night until um until my parent eventually came up there I remember my mom was like making my sisters go in there like trying to figure out what was wrong with me and then my mom was actually really understanding about it I think she could see how upset I had made myself and she said that the teacher called her and she kind of asked some questions but I just refused to talk to talk about it and like this is seriously the first time that I've like, ever <laughs> talked about it and I'm thinking about how different and how much more impactful that would have been if the classmate that I dared to lick the floor of the cafeteria was a part of any kind of conversation with me I was just like haunted by knowing her for the rest of my school life because I felt terrible and eventually she moved. And if you're out there, I am so sorry. And I think we should work through this together. Um, and it was just a pretty, a really scary model of teacher's going to call your parent. You messed up. Um, but that's kind of all it was. And I imagine if that happened at Stomping Ground, I think that there's a really strong t chance that if I was a camper at Stomping Ground and so was that other person, um, we could have like ended up being friends by the end of the week. But in school, that was there was never going to be a chance of that. Oh, I have chills. I, that was uh, such a good story. I, I'm I am thinking about how like I'm reminded how conflict is 
often an opportunity for connection, um, but we don't ever see it that way. It's an opportunity to innovate too. There, conflict essentially is a discord between two people or a person in a community or a person in a system. And that clash um, signifies to, to us, or it should signify to us, that um, something's, something's out of whack or something's wrong. Um, but uh, it, instead of digging into that, we shy away from it, like right. your like your teacher did yeah. in in some ways, and like, like I did. I was never the, right the, asked to hold myself accountable, and I never did. I just buried it so deep. We lean on these like systems that are supposed to protect us, mm-hmm. um, but what they're really preventing us from doing is seeing that there's like a possibility for you to figure out like what what are why why were you influenced by this other classmate to dare this person Mm -hmm. what what did what kind of like position in class did this individual that you Mm -hmm. asked to lick the floor like have on the social status ladder Mm -hmm. like could you have um built a relationship with her through this thing by sharing like oh i'm i'm feeling really bad about this like Mm -hmm. obviously you were feeling pretty resentful that you had made that choice but didn't ever have a chance to tell her about it and within that you could have um I think you're right formed it like more of a connection and maybe even a friendship Mm -hmm. um and that yeah I think that that happens at camp all the time I can think about um I'm thinking about a story I'm thinking about a story about um two kids this might have been like three summers ago um and one the one camper um you know, we'd been notified by the parent and guardian that um, they'd been like kicked out of several other summer camps mm-hmm. um, and they were coming to camp and and um, their caregiver was pretty nervous that they weren't going to be able to make it throughout the whole week. And sure enough, this kid is like definitely out there pushing buttons on the on the mm-hmm. on the field like he's in the Gaga pit kind of like seeing how far he can um push the edges of what's happening um and like where the boundaries of of camp are like what's acceptable in this place that's like pretty typical behavior for anybody to do Mm -hmm. um but he um i think he had a lack of trust of the adults in his life and so he was like trying to figure out where the edges were in in our space um but what was magical about this was he can continuously got circles called on him other kids would say you know, like you, you, you hurt my feelings or mm-hmm. you, um, you're not playing the way I want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember one conversation, one circle conversation with this kid, um, where another kid who was also a part of a lot of circles at camp, mm-hmm. um, ended up in a circle with him, um, because of something that happened in the Gaga pit. And, uh, this kid leans over, um, to the original kid and says, puts his hand on his shoulder and says like, it's okay. You're like, it, it, this isn't what you think it is like oh. you're going to be able to um still be at camp like yeah, this we, doesn't mean you're in trouble this doesn't mean exactly i think he even said something like that like this doesn't mean you're in trouble this means that um like you like I, i've been here before it's and not I, what you think and it's not what you think and <laughs> yeah. like and that and that was a very unlikely friendship because the two started off as being really mad at each other about what mm. happened and um they were able to empathize with each other that typically they are the troublemakers in whatever space they they inhabit um but they they built some rapport knowing that they were both um like often in those similar positions and were able to like kind of support each other through that whereas like maybe in a in like a typical space or like a a, a non-restorative space those two kids would have um been separated and never able to right. like connect on that common ground that they shared yeah 
and at those other camps if that camper had an opportunity to talk more about who he pissed off or what was going on is there a chance that he could have stayed yeah at another camp right what was kicking him out like mm-hmm. you said. Who I hope people keep listening and don't hate me from that story. I'm feeling vulnerable <laughs> right now. Now that I've started to unpack a lot of my first grade feelings, I do think that it's important to talk a little bit more about how the restorative justice practices at camp and in other organizations and institutions and in all other places that they exist aren't always perfect. They don't always work. Yeah. As a movement, restorative justice can't be a band-aid um for broken systems i'm thinking about schools that i've worked in where they're like we're gonna you know top down we're gonna adopt restorative justice practices Mm -hmm. but it it's not the buy-in isn't there from the teachers and um it's not there from the students and it's therefore doesn't take hold in the culture and um i think that it it can't be just a band-aid that we slap on top Mm -hmm. of um, what's happening, it has to be deeply rooted and um, everybody has to be on board to make it work. And even when you get to that level, it doesn't always work. Right. Um, and so it can be frustrating because you're like, this is, you know, we said we were going to do this. We said we wanted um, to focus more on healing harm and mitigating future harm and building community. But um, it's a it's a long process for sure i'm thinking about a lot of circles that i've been a part of it just stomping ground where uh people don't follow through on the agreements we make all together or maybe we didn't make the right agreements and they didn't really play out how we wanted to and so we regroup and have another conflict circle to figure out where people are at um and sometimes people don't want to be a part of circles right away when they're heated or right after something happened and i think like you're saying it is um more about understanding that circles and restorative practices aren't any kind of quick fix right it's more of a howard zier says restorative justice is a compass and not a map i love that yeah so when when shit hits the fan at camp Mm -hmm. this is kind of what happens as just like a way to talk more about what we are actually saying here Mm -hmm. like um the the system that's in place at at stomping ground um is for conflict specifically if something happens where somebody feels like they were um wronged or like Mm -hmm. something a conflict occurred an argument happened a camper um goes first to the is empowered to go first to the person that um they're frustrated with and say to them um here's what's up instead of going to an adult to like tattle on you know and have the adult solve their problem for them and i think that that's a part of understanding that the power is within you to help yourself figure Mm -hmm. out like what you need um and owning owning what you need um but if that doesn't work and it typically you know in in some some ways it doesn't Mm -hmm. we're all out of practice with this um then we pull in like a mediator Mm -hmm. We, we call that like the second level of circle so that mediator might be an older camper it might be a staff member um somebody who uh they trust to kind of sit with them and help facilitate that conversation and the mediator is picked by the person who wants to call the conflict circle. And I think um, 
from there, it's just this very simple, um, what happened from both sides? How are both sides feeling? And you go around in a circle talking about um, those questions and you give other people the space to answer them fully. Um, and that's what the mediator does is, is sit there and help kind of hold um, hold those that, that kind of like, we're going to have everybody share equally how they were affected by this um, in kind of like a system systematic way, mm-hmm. uh, a way that is, is we know what's coming next. And then the last part of the circle is trying to um, come to some agreements or ways to move forward. So each side will say what they're needing um, in order to go back out into camp um, and exist, coexist in this space together. And the third level of um, the circle process at Stomping Ground when um, circles haven't been resolved and people aren't following through on the agreements and generally there might just be still some tension and um, misunderstanding or hard feelings. Um, Campers or staff can bring in somebody from the executive council and in the past Laura and I have both been on this council along with pandas at Stomping Ground who are village directors and uh, we call that the third level um, as a a person to come in and and re-facilitate another circle and kind of um, work harder at at the work that's been done and figure out where people are at. And give some weight to the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that oftentimes what people are really wanting um, in a circle is to be validated in their feelings. And Mm -hmm. the executive council does that. Something that we are hoping to do as an organization um, this summer is have some systems in place and trainings in place for campers and other staff who are interested to sit on the executive council, which I think will be really fun and exciting. And continue to share the power that comes from like collaboratively solving problems together. Punishment, shame, and blame are not working. The United States imprisons more people than any other developed country. If the total prison population in the country was a city, it would be the fifth largest city in the United States. Wasted lives, families destroyed, and communities left feeling more disconnected and destitute because of, I told you so. This disproportionately affects black and brown communities. There is a disconnect, a cycle of violence that has been systematically oppressing parts of our population. I don't feel qualified to tackle this. I feel demoralized and confused by it. But I do know that maybe my small community can provide a different model. Prove that seeing conflict as an opportunity for innovation and connection creates more confident kids and more connected communities. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the Radical Empathy Podcast. Make sure to tune in next time. Thank you.